Mac Power Users, episode 671, Out of the Water. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. I'm David Sparks and joined by everyone's favorite co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Ah, man, holidays are in the air, buddy. I am feeling it. Everything okay with the Hackett family? Kids wound up and all that? Oh, oh yeah. As we record this, they just have a couple of days of school left and the tree's up and presents are starting to appear under it. It's uh it's here, man. It's here. Yeah. I you know, I, I don't feel old enough to be a great uncle, but I am. You mm-hmm. know, I remember when I was a kid, great uncles were ancient people that I was that were inevitably going to die soon. Right. Uh, but that's me now. <laughs> um and I've got these uh these little nephews and nieces that are just great, you know, ages mm-hmm. like one to like six. And we're going to go down there in a few days and I'm going to jack those kids up. I'm going to leave them so excited about Christmas that their parents are going to hate me and I cannot wait. But anyway, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. Uh, I just became an uncle again. So I now yeah. have uh, one nephew and three nieces. We just had a new niece born a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So get to see them and see the baby. And it's uh it's very exciting family time coming up. I I always bring them Star Wars toys. You know that you can get really cheap ones, and I just just like pull them out of my pocket randomly while we're there. And I always wonder when they grow up what they're going to think of me, like kooky old man with <laughs> Star Wars toys in his pocket. <laughs> it is a little a little troubling, really, when you think about it. But we, there you go. I, I feel like when you're a great uncle, you need a thing, right? Yeah. Like oh, I got it, man. I got you it. Got it. Right. I mean, my, uh, you know, I've got, a, a, I don't think I have any great uncles left, but I'd have several great aunts left and yeah, they see? all live yeah. like in Virginia, like on farms. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it's like that side of the family. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you're just like the cool Star Wars great uncle. I like it. I think it works for you. To my point, all your great uncles are gone, man. I see that's I, I, the clock is ticking brother. Um, either way, uh, housekeeping, uh, I don't think we have any housekeeping today. That's I don't cool. Think, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of quiet. Thank you, uh, everyone who, uh, joined during the discounted membership sale. Uh, we yeah. had a bunch of people, uh, checking out more power users for the first time. So thank you all for your support. And, uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for this episode and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am always excited about stuff we're doing on Mac Power Users, and we've got some good stuff lined up for next year. Wouldn't it be great if next year we could do a live event? You think we're getting there? I think we are. I, I think yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Um, so we got that on more Power Users today uh, because Steven makes me jealous constantly. I set up my second screen, mm-hmm. and I have thoughts. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, <laughs> and I want to I want to hear how you're doing with that second screen as well. Okay. We're just going to do a second screen extravaganza on more power users today. Second part of the second screen discussion. It's a feedback episode, gang. So we got a lot of feedback, and we really did get a lot of feedback this last uh, month or two. Uh, one of my favorites from Sunnet, anytime someone catches me, I love that. Um, and uh, son, it did. He said, you know, we did that show on Apple Notes, and I whined and moaned about link sharing and URL sharing. And he's like, hey, there's a share sheet. You click the invite with link, and there's a link, and you can copy the link, and that's all you have to do. I totally knew that. And for whatever reason, it didn't come to me while we record the show, and I didn't put in the outline. So thank you so much, Sonny, for setting the record straight. Um 
I also, you know, what I was thinking when we recorded it, I guess in my defense, is it should be a simple process where you don't have to go through share sheets and mm-hmm. copy links. It should be like a keyboard shortcut. But then, of course, uh, somebody told us, oh, yeah, you can do a keyboard shortcut with Hookmark, which, you know, we had Luke on the show, and I run Hook all the time. And I don't know why the, the synapses in my brain never connected to use Hookmark with Apple Notes. I just never thought of it. But of course it works, and I've been using it ever since. Um, so if you uh, if you have a setup subscription, Hook is now on setup, or if you want to use by the app, um, you can run a keyboard shortcut uh, when you're in a note, and it copies a link back to that note that you can put anywhere else on your Mac, which is one of my big features I want with notes. Um, just uh, some more stuff on Apple Notes is I've been – really trying to use it a lot more under fire. It's mm-hmm. been an experimental app for me for so many years. But I, what I did is I took my personal management stuff out of Obsidian because I didn't think it ever really fit there that well. Anyway, Obsidian is where my good ideas are, and I didn't want to like clutter it up with, you know, like I said in the show, visits to the to the dog vet. And uh, so I've kind of restructured Apple Notes for that, and now I'm using it almost daily. And Boy, Apple's, those, you know, the, that show, we did Reminders and Notes. Both of those apps, I just continue to find respect for. Man, if Apple, if you're listening, more of that love across the board, please. Yes. Yeah, they're both fantastic. And um, I, I did want to mention, we we talked about Hook. Hook has rebranded to Hookmark. I think you've used both names yeah. and I've used both names. But I just want to put that out there that they did rebrand. And uh, so if, if you were confused about what Hookmark is, it's just Hook with a with a new name. And you know what? We talked about it on an episode with Luke, with the founder. Uh, We're going to find a way to cover that more next year because that app is very eye-opening and there's a lot that you can do with it. Uh, That's on my list for next year on Mac Power Users, so stay tuned for more on that one. We got a couple of notes from people looking to move to Apple Notes from Evernote. And it seems like uh, at least with some versions of Evernote, there is a limit on the number of notes Evernote will export at once. So if you have 800 notes, doing it, you know, 16 times, if the limit is 50, that's a big pain and you're going to have errors, right? You just want to be able to select the whole thing and export it. Uh, there is a workaround we found on the Evernote forums about this. So if you are looking to make the move, then... Uh, check out that uh, that forum post because it'll it, it basically you go into like a p list and change something. It's a little bit messy, but it works. Wait, wait a second. You mean it's hard to export from Evernote? How could that be? I know, I know. They never fixed that in all those years. I mean, Mm-mm. I I thought it was a great idea from the beginning, but I didn't like the way the app looked. And it got better over time, but the export was always the thing that killed me. Uh, related to Evernote, Julie wrote in. Um, uh, and she said, I'd love to know your thoughts uh, about the Evernote acquisition. Did you you know about that, Stephen? What happened with Evernote? Yeah, they have been uh, they've been bought by it, it's kind of a weird company. The company is called Bending Spoons, and they own sort of like a hodgepodge of different products. Yeah. Uh, including like there's a video editor called Splice and an AI image editing tool. And uh, now they own now they own Evernote, which was once, if you remember, it was one of the earliest unicorns, meaning a, yeah. a startup worth more than a billion dollars. And uh, man, 
Not anymore. I I have thoughts. Um, I feel like Evernote lost the thread early. I mean, they had a great idea. And, you know, there's always this thing when you start going public and, you know, selling stock and whatnot, where you want to become this growth thing where, you know, part of the business, and I'm sure there are financial people listening that are just rolling their eyes as I talk, but, you know, a, a lot of companies are really, you know, when you're selling your stock publicly, you want to show up every 90 days with growth. You know, that's, that's the game you play to get the numbers up. And I feel like, uh, I, I think it's sad because a lot of companies have good products that, um, that, you know, reach a certain level and really aren't going to get much bigger. I mean, uh, an example that's been in news lately that this comes to me is Twitter versus Facebook. You know, they just, Twitter had a pretty good business, you know, even though it was never going to be Facebook. Well, Evernote had a pretty good business too, even though it was never going to be Microsoft. And I feel like they really tried so hard to come up with additional products that they lost the thread with the product that everybody liked. That's just my opinion. I think you're right. And I think that Evernote, while on one hand, they're one of the best examples because Evernote's old, like way before mobile. And I think they did a a decent job at getting onto mobile, but others did it better, faster. And they just sort of eventually just sort of fell away. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I I don't really have a lot of deep thoughts on this, except I'm, I'm a little sad to see it go, even though I was never a big fan. I know a lot of people are super into it. And who knows, maybe this acquisition is going to turn into it getting better, but often that's not the case, you know? So uh, if you're on Evernote and you like it, please stay on it. I'm not trying to tell you to leave a platform, but there are a lot of good options now too. And uh, I feel like Apple Notes, as we talked about in that show we recorded, Apple Notes is like aimed squarely at Evernote um, without a lot of the headache, so long as you're on all Apple hardware. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty amazing to me that that notes went that direction. And we talked about it in the show, just all the things you can do with it. Yeah. And I mean, the next, the next bit of feedback even goes into it, talking about uh, how to store manuals and instruction booklets. Like notes can really accept almost anything. And as long as you're in the Apple ecosystem, it is built in and free if you have, if you got iCloud space. And so yeah. it's, it's an example really of, uh, the first party solution, I mean, really taking over where a third party ruled for a long time. I mean, Evernote was pretty ubiquitous there for, for I mean, years and years. Yeah. Um, in fact, the related question was from Chuck. He said, what are the two of you doing to organize manuals and instruction booklets, you know, appliances, tools, workshop, et cetera? Um, and uh, you you talked about it on the episode that you're putting all that stuff in Apple Notes and this for me is like, you know, right in the wheelhouse of DevonThink. I just have a DevonThink database with yeah. all that stuff in it. And uh, DevonThink's AI search makes it super easy to find anything. And I just find like uh, really long like PDFs in Apple Notes. While you can do it, it's really not ideal. Yeah, I would. I mean, DevonThink is, is a great choice for this, except the way I use DevonThink, it's basically all just tech history. Like, yeah. I got I got enough in there. Um, yeah. And with notes, it's really easy to share a folder. And so I just have a folder called manuals and my wife is added to it. And anytime we have an appliance or for instance, I have like the owner manuals uh, for both of our vehicles, like anything in there, I will dump into Apple notes. Now I do 
if it's not OCR'd, I'll OCR it first. And usually I'll use Devon Think for that. Like I'll drag into Devon Think, let Devon Think OCR'd and then drag it back out. There's many ways to do that. That's the way that I do it. Uh, there's other solutions. Um, but then I just drag it into notes and I do one manual per note and the title of the note is what it is. And so if I need to replace, you know, the uh, the filter on the refrigerator, the water filter, I can look up our refrigerator manual and very quickly find it and, you know, order whatever I need. And it's been really good for me. I've done that. I've done this for several years now and really recommend it. And it's 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 really pretty easy because almost every company that makes anything, their manuals are online as PDFs. And so, yeah. you know, maybe we're, we spoke last time on the members episode about holiday like tech projects. This is a great one. You know, just wander around your house and pull PDFs down for things that you own, and then you don't have to keep those paper booklets around anymore. Yeah. The the search is you go on Google and type the name of the product, manual PDF. PDF. And and every time you find it. I mean, I can't think of the last time I wasn't able to get the PDF. And for years, I used to scan them because they weren't that available. But, you know, manufacturers have figured it out now. Some sites, like I like to buy woodworking tools from this company called Lee Valley, they put it right on the sales page. Like before you buy it, you can read the whole manual. And I think that's smart. That's really cool. So I was thinking when I just talked though, the reason I put them in DevonThink is because I have DevonThink. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not inexpensive software, but I use it for a bunch of other stuff. So it's like I have this really powerful tool, so I might as well throw manuals at it yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I would not buy DevonThink just to no. sort your manuals. If you're not you if you're not already a DevonThink user, if you don't have a good reason for it. I think I would recommend Stevens. It's free. It's a free option. Uh, another option for this would be an iCloud folder, an iCloud-based folder that you can mm-hmm. put it in there. Uh, you do kind of want to access it on your mobile devices. I find that sometimes when I'm under the refrigerator, I want to see the refrigerator manual. And uh, it's nice having it on an iPad or an iPhone, so iCloud is kind of the way. You can also do it with a Dropbox account, though, too, of course. And you could just put the um, the manual PDFs in folders, um, but... I think the thing about Apple Notes that is an advantage, this is what I do with DevonThink, and I would, I'm sure I would do it if I didn't have DevonThink with Apple Notes, is you can write notes too. Like not only can you look up the air filter, you can write down the last time you replaced it and just kind of keep it all in one place. Um, and that's kind of nice too. You don't want to have to drag your laptop under the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm imagining Steven under his fridge with uh, with that with that old Mac Pro, you know, the yeah. You know, and just like, okay, wait a second. Let me just run my cable. Mm-hmm. Then we'd be, we'd have really sad episodes at the time. We'd have to talk about how we lost Steven because he ran a Mac Pro under a refrigerator. And, you know, <laughs> it's a very specific way to go. Yeah. You know, he's not, not even a great uncle yet. I mean, that's so sad. <laughs> really, where I find myself using this more than anything is on my iPad mini where I can have, you know, the it's big enough to like have a PDF up, even if it's like a two up, you get two pages and yeah. I can just have it, you know, with me in the garage or, you know, wherever I'm doing something, uh, I find it really handy. Do you, you love your iPad mini so much, Steven? It's right here. I hear it in your voice every time we talk. I mean, it's pretty great. You're so in the bag. You're such a, you should, we should just make you the iPad power user for the show. I mean, if by power user, you mean mostly using it for Netflix, then sure. Yeah. And, and, and refrigerator manuals. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Well, that's your answer, Chuck. Hopefully you found it in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Apple Notes and don't use a Mac Pro in the refrigerator. We're very helpful. Very helpful. Uh, reminders. Uh, we had uh, several people writing in to say that, yeah, you're right. Reminders is great and I'm using it. I have been getting a ton of email since that show aired from Apple, uh, I'm sorry, Max Market Labs members who are like, yeah, I'm all in with reminders. So I'm actually using it more with some stuff. I'm going to be making videos for the labs about it. Uh, one of the things that people wrote in about was how much they like using Siri input on it. And I think that's like one of the features that reminders has that other apps really can't duplicate where you can add new tasks with Siri. But in experimenting with it, since we recorded the show, I find there, there are weird quirks about it. Like there's certain things you can do with your voice and certain things you can't. And it's, it's odd to me that Apple wouldn't like let you set priority level and some of these other features with your voice. I mean, if you can add it, with your voice but it still doesn't do everything you need it to do like it does re you can do repeats with your voice like make create a repeating event with your voice but you can't make it a high priority event and it's like or at least i can't suss it out i've tried so many different ways to make that happen and it just doesn't work um so i feel like there's still work to be done there Mm -hmm. um but it was really interesting to hear how many listeners are like fully invested in reminders and i am not surprised by it you know I've really gotten to to reminders with uh, with the voice stuff of basically just putting things in the inbox. Like I have a list named inbox. I set it as the default. Yeah. And then like I, I clear that out. So it's in the favorites up at the top. So right now there's one thing in there. It's something I really need to deal with today. But other than that, uh, I, I keep the inbox clear. And so if I'm out and about or you know don't want to take the time to fully enter something, I can put it in the inbox and then deal with it later. Uh, but for me, where Siri and Reminders is so great together, and maybe it's just because uh, I've got three kids and a business and life is chaotic, but I use the remind me when I get home all the time. So if I'm out yeah. and about and it's like, oh, I really need to do this or that, I'll just, even in the car, because it works with CarPlay. And uh, spoiler, I think we're going to do a CarPlay episode next year i'm excited about that one yeah. uh you can just tell it hey remind me when i get home to you know take out the garbage and then it sets up the gf fence and when you get home it tells you that that's uh uh that that's due and what's really nice is if you set one for like home depot right like, okay next time i'm at home depot remind me to you know buy whatever uh if you open reminders and you're nearby a a location that's been tagged in a task, it will show up for you just right there. Even if it's buried in a list somewhere, it'll show up on the today view because you're nearby. And it's really the first time that I've used a task manager with location stuff. I mean, I've used apps that have it, but it's the first time I've really used it. And a lot of it is because while Siri doesn't do a bunch of stuff we'd like it to do, it does do that really well. And I find it very helpful, especially in the car. Yeah, you know, I've been outlining some content for the Max Parky Labs on this, and it really occurred to me that there's two jobs that Reminders is doing. The first is Reminders, like you said, you know, when I get home, remind me to take out the trash or things like that. But then it also does task management with list-based tasks. And those are two separate jobs. And a lot of task managers don't do Reminders. A lot of Reminders apps, you know, like do, don't do tasks. So it's just... You know, I just continue to be impressed with this application. And like, I feel like it really sucks all the oxygen out of the room, except for like kind of the top tier task managers. 
I mean, I, I think it's going to, I think this is a hard business to make an average task manager when Apple's giving away one that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Terrence doesn't like Apple books. Terrence doesn't. So a little background here. The books app got a pretty big update uh, this time around. There's new like floating menu palette at the bottom of the screen, kind of like Safari, but also kind of like nothing else in iOS, which is strange. Uh, And Terrence writes, uh, for instance, to edit highlights, you now have to use the menu at the bottom right. Click on highlights, then go to the highlight page, and they don't see ways to change colors, etc. And so maybe it's uh, a little bit more uh, limited than before. And they provide a link to iDownload blog. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, and I was this made me curious about y- you, David. Do you do reading in Apple Books? I'm not sure we've ever talked about it. Yeah, you would think, right? I was a publisher in Apple Books for years. Yeah, um, with their uh, iBooks Author program, which they no longer support. Um, so I, at the time, I was all in on Apple Books. You know, I'm I'm in the bag for Apple. I'll admit it, right? I, I like that stuff. Uh, so when they first released the Apple Books app, I bought several books in their app, and. Um, very quickly, I kind of went over to Kindle, you know, because I'd already bought several books in Kindle, mm-hmm. and um, I read a lot of digital books, and Kindle just kind of eats Apple's lunch on this stuff. So uh, yeah. I actually hadn't opened Apple Books until for a long time until I saw Terrence's um, email, and I went in, and it definitely is unfamiliar to me, which mm-hmm. I think the problem is when you read books on an app, you don't want innovation and user interface. You just want it to turn the pages and highlight really, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, you don't need anything fancy. Kindle does this too sometimes where they try to get too fancy, uh, but you just want it to be rock solid on, you know, what, what is the purpose of a book to be read and sometimes highlighted. And uh, so I, I feel like, yeah, uh, I don't really care for it with my initial uh, take on it, but what I really would need to do is, you know, read a thousand pages on it and then report back. And I haven't done that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't really have a response to Terrence, but I get it. And um, the thing that concerns me is the way they kind of gave up on iBooks author. It makes me worry, you know, are they going to give up on books in general? Or is that something, Yeah, you know, how Apple sometimes starts a thing and then decides that's not that important to them. Well, I don't want to buy a bunch of books on a proprietary platform unless I'm sure it's going to stick around. Yeah. I'm frankly not really excited about the fact that I've bought so many books on Kindle. Um, you know, but I can't imagine uh, Amazon's just going to shut it down someday. Uh, Mm. But, you know, it is a little worrying. And I know there's like third party ways out there to un-DRM Kindle books, but I'm not really that interested in doing it unless, you know, Amazon shuts down or stops selling Kindle books. But, but the, uh, yeah. So to answer your question, I, I'm using a Kindle. I haven't used Apple books for a while. And, uh, and I, I kind of agree with Terrence's at least initial approach that I'm not so sure I like this redesign. I just opened books on my Mac because I'm I'm not a books user. Uh, I read either in like real books or on the Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's exactly four things in here. There's an, an Apple style guide and then like Apple guide to Swift or something. And then there's the paperless Max Barkey field guide and the markdown. Max Barkey Amen. Guy. Amen, man. <laughs> look at these books. They look like leather books, man. What a time. They were, they were great. I, I was really happy with that. I mean, because when I was, before I did those books, I was working for a publisher. You know, my books were like in 
Barnes and Noble. Uh, and yeah. Like, yeah. Which was cool, but you couldn't teach it because, you know, you can't teach people how to use tech with screenshots. You really need videos. So I was so happy with it. You know, it, eventually it didn't work out. The, the thing with me was they had a two gigabyte limit and, you know, the field guides I ship now have like 12, you know, 20 gigabytes of files. So I can do so much more mm-hmm. with what I'm doing now, but it, it was a really great platform for me and there was nothing like it at the time. Well, and, and your stuff is so much better when it's video heavy. Like yeah. you're doing things now that, I mean, you definitely couldn't ever do when you were in Barnes and Noble or whatever. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think, I think your stuff's better off for it. Oh yeah. I had to fight with the publisher so hard to get screenshots. I just remember that it's like, you know, oh. they, they didn't want to print more pages and it's like, I'm, I'm like, I need seven screenshot shots to teach us. And like, we'll give you three, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like this really bizarre game of name that tune, you know? And, uh, wow. and it was, I, I hated that, you know? So that was, that was an easy move to make. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by one password. Just head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps, get yourself 20% off your account. I'm such a big fan of 1Password. I use it every day. I thought today I'd just talk about some of the things I do with 1Password. The first thing, of course, is I use it to generate safe and secure passwords for the internet. Everyone is safe and unique, and all I need to remember is the 1Password to open the application. But to tell you the truth, I don't even use that password very often because 1Password does a great job of working with the Apple security protocols whether it's Touch ID or Face ID or whatever, you just get into your 1Password data without really any struggle at all. It makes it super easy. Another favorite feature of mine is the separate vaults. I've got vaults for Max Sparky. I've got a vault for myself and my wife. I've got one for the whole family. I've got my personal vaults. And I organize my passwords and credit cards and all the other data I have into those vaults as appropriate. And so Daisy and I can share the bank password. The family and I can share the Netflix password. Everything goes in the place where it belongs, but it's safe and secure at the same time. 1Password also makes it ridiculously easy to share a password securely. I mean, it's really dumb to put a password into a text message. 1Password gives you a way to encrypt it and share that data for you. And one of my favorite features of 1Password is just the idea of secure notes. For instance, all of my medical information is saved in 1Password in a secure note. Uh, As much as I like Apple Notes, I'm not going to put my medical stuff in there. Uh, I would much rather have it behind that second vault of the 1Password gate. And that way I know it's always protected and secure. Same thing for like the kids' social security numbers and things like that. I just find uses for this application every day. It's super awesome. Steven and I use it all the time. And if you want to get your family set up, this is a great time of year to do it when you're all sitting around, get everybody secure for the holidays and going forward. One uh, password.com slash MPU. Make that MPU in all caps to get that 20% off and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thank you, One Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users over the years. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about Apple Maps uh, a little bit. We got a note from Ron. Uh, Ron has a business covering the mid Atlantic region and drives 50,000 miles a year. This is a lot. Uh, least yeah. a lot for me, exclusively using Apple Maps. Um, and he talked about guides, which which we spoke about. Remember, I set up like a barbecue one in the in the yeah. uh, uh, for that episode. Um, yeah. And Ron goes on to talk about iOS 16 with the additional uh, feature of multi-stop routes, which they say is like a total game changer. 
but Apple Maps doesn't let you uh, save multiple routes, and uh, that's something that they would uh, they would like to do. And I think you dug into this a little bit. Yeah, I took a look. I thought, well, maybe there's an angle around this with shortcuts. So I went into it, and and what he really wants to do is he wants to chain multiple directions together, like get the directions to the library, then the restaurant, then the office, or, you know, whatever. Ron drives 50,000 miles away a year. By the way, every five years, Ron drives to the moon. I looked it up. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. But the, uh, <laughs> you, uh, so I thought, well, maybe I can automate because you can automate uh, a direction search in shortcuts. So I knew that was there. I thought, well, maybe I could make it so I could chain them and it would build it for me. And then you could save the shortcut, press the button, and then it would do it for repeat routes. Uh, so the answer is no, you can't. And the problem is uh, it does the search for the route, but it doesn't start the route. And the way you make these these chained routes work is you start one, then you add another one on top of it. Um, so the best I could do for you, Ron, is you could make a shortcut to for each one of your favorite locations, and then you could go ahead and and you know then run each one individually, which isn't that much better, honestly, but it you know, it's better than a poke in the eye, but it, it really isn't what you need. And I, I think that once I understood the problem, this seems obvious that Apple should actually support this with a shortcut because I think they could do it. Like you could make a shortcut that says, enter all of your destinations and then plan a route for me. Mm-hmm. And then then I push the button on the, the dash to start the route. And yeah. I think their worry is starting routes automatically might be dangerous but I would still manually start it, but it would actually map out the route for me. And then you could insert each address. And so I would recommend anybody listening to this has any interest, go to feedback.apple.com. They've got a real simple form there. Tell them what you want. And if I know that um, I know for a fact that the, uh, that the shortcuts team pays attention to things people are looking for because they want, you know, they want to keep shortcuts uh, going, they want Apple to give them money and pay for people to keep it going, and so they want to be useful. So, feedback at apple.com. Ron, go there. But anybody else who uses it to drive, I, I submitted one on it just um, uh, as soon as I read this and mm-hmm. kind of went through the process. Yeah, my only sort of workaround, and it's pretty clumsy, was to use the favorites feature. And if you know, yeah. in a certain day, you got to go to these ten places, make them all favorites, and at least it's easier to get to them. But then you're managing that, and that's much better managed on the phone than on CarPlay. So I agree. I mean, I hadn't really thought about this. I don't do this type of driving, but it makes a ton of sense that it should be there, and hopefully Apple hears it. Yeah, it just seems obvious when you, when you think about it. Uh, Chris showed us up. We talked about on the gift guide the extension cords, and you had that cool extension cord where you get the shorties, you know, the six-inch ones, and that way you can get, like, you know, um, you know, power supply unit things into a normal extension. And, you know, it was, it was a good idea. Chris showed us up though. He found a device and he said that it needs to be under five amps average for each device, which is not a problem for like stuff you're running, mm-hmm. like uh, little utilities you're running in your, your internet closet and stuff. But basically it's one plug that's got a bunch of shorties poking out of it. So you could get multiple on one plug. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes where I thought it was a cool thing. I never thought of it. And um, uh, I have not ordered one yet, but it's in my, uh, in my, on one of my lists in the Amazon. Next time I buy electronics related things, I think I'm going to get one of these. 
Yeah, some people call that layout a squid, which is kind of gross. But, yes. Uh, it yeah. works, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Stephen, uh, my reckoning has come. This is the sound of a reckoning. For a couple of years now, I've been recommending Eufy cameras and buying them for myself. Um, I was a fan of Anchor products. And, uh, you know, Eufy is a division of, of Anchor. So I'm like, ah, these guys seem like they know what they're doing. And then the news came out. <laughs> so apparently, you know, the, the reason I like UV cameras is they're local only. You know, they keep the, you get a device where you store uh, your video locally. You don't have to pay a service to do it. And you don't have to worry about a service protecting images from your cameras. And uh, there was an interesting kind of thing that happened over the last few days. I'm going to summarize it. Hopefully I'll get the facts generally right. But uh, some security researchers found that some of the footage was getting uploaded to UV servers and some of the images like it would take in face recognition was getting uploaded to their servers. And um, they contacted UFI and UFI said, no way, this is not happening. And then they ran some experiments. Uh, several security researchers said, oh yeah, it is absolutely happening and it is totally available. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like the two things that went wrong here is number one, they have this problem. And number two is they denied the problem. Is that a good short summary? Yeah, I think that's that makes sense. Um, the reason the images were being uploaded is is interesting too. So one, there's really kind of two things going on in parallel. The first one being those images being uploaded. So when you got a push notification on your phone, you could see in the notification what was happening at the camera, right? Which makes sense. It's what you want that notification, <laughs> and yeah, uh, and so. They would upload a thumbnail, it'd get added to your notification, push to your mobile device, and then Yuffie said those got destroyed after the notification was sent. Uh, but there was also an issue where the video feed could be accessed in a program like VLC if you knew a unique URL. And that URL, like it was the camera serial number encoded in base 64. So if you had you know, physical access to the camera and you knew about this, you could then potentially find that feed and play it in BLC. To me, that's the bigger of the two problems. Yeah. And uh, they have had a couple of app updates since then. A lot of this was kind of even at the end of November. Um, But the core problem is that their marketing said everything was local, but turns out that in real life and actually in the privacy policy, if anyone had read it, contradict that marketing. And, and I think that's where the tension is here. They haven't done their mea culpa post yet. I think they should. I mean, if they asked me, I'd say, you need to get online right now and explain exactly what just happened. Mm-hmm. And, and because, but my impression is that this was not some deliberate attempt to, you know, harvest data from your cameras or whatever, but some programmer took a shortcut and I'm not sure the right hand and the left hand were all connected here. I think they actually did intend this to be the system they promised, but something went horribly wrong. And I expect that they're going to make changes so they can legitimately say this, you know. Um, so, I, I, you know, what, what's the saying? Never attribute to malice what can be attributed to incompetence. I mean, I mean, I get that. But, like, someone had to have known <laughs> that they were storing images in S3 or whatever for 24 hours and then nuking them. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm not giving them, I think as big as a benefit of a doubt as, as you are. 
but I don't have them all over my house either, which is sort of the ultimate question here. Right, exactly. What do you do? Well, one of the things I did in researching this is find out that if you just have them hooked up to Apple's uh, secure HomeKit camera, what do they call that service? HomeKit secure video. Yeah, it never it never went to them because they everything was diverted right there. But, you know, unfortunately, Mr. Fancy Sparky a couple months ago announced to the world that I'm not going to use the HomeKit security video stuff because it reduces the resolution from 2K to 1K and I want 2K. So for the last 2 months I've been sending um footage to UV and I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe somebody has like one of those like rooms full of pictures of me walking mm. around you know, eating an apple and making I, videos. I wish you I would quit distra- uh, stop describing my closet. Okay. <laughs> An extra altar. Yeah, I got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. But either way, um, so my response to all of this was to immediately put my cameras back on HomeKit. And so yeah. I'm like, maybe they'll fix it, but I'm not going to worry about it. And mm-hmm. I do have a couple cameras that are not HomeKit friendly um, that are Eufy. One is my doorbell cam, which they've, for whatever reason, never connected to HomeKit. And I've got several external cameras, you know, that track the skunks and the uh, bobcats and rattlesnakes that wander around my house. Um, and I don't care. You know, you can put those pictures up and whatever. But the uh, but the interior, I've got a couple interior cameras, and those immediately went over to Apple HomeKit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, am I going to throw my Eufy cameras out and go to some other vendor? No, because I don't honestly know who else to use. I mean... Most of them are by nature cloud services. Yeah, mine are. Where, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, the big advantage of Eufy was it wasn't. And I'm not sure of another vendor that's making that promise. And I think that they're going to fix this. But I don't know, man. Um, what I really want is Apple to get into the camera business. And uh, I don't think they will. I mean, they're just not interested in those little, you know, the kinds of money that business makes aren't enough to move the needle for them. So they're not going to bother, but you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like kind of frustrated with the whole situation and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And because I've talked about it publicly and recommended them, I feel terrible because people have bought them because I, I said, get them. And now they've got to deal with that. And I've, you know, I don't know what to say, but you know, you know, it's part of Anchor. I don't. I didn't know of all the other vendors out there. I don't know any of them that I trust anymore. So yeah, there you go. And, and like you said, if you're in HomeKit Secure Video, you're by you're basically bypassing their entire software stack. And yeah, uh, so they have had a couple of app updates, and they the home base, which is like the thing with the local recording and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, they seem to have a newer version of that coming or an update to it. Their communication has not been very clear. And that is almost as big of a problem for me as the the actual security implications of this, because when this sort of thing happens, you should communicate very clearly with your customers and they just haven't done that. In fact, in the early days of this, in one of the Verge uh, links in the show notes, like Yuffie gave them an answer that ended up being incorrect. It's like, what are y'all doing? Like you got to. You know, if this was a mistake, you need to own it and yeah. fix it. And if it wasn't yeah. a mistake, you need to explain why your marketing said that everything was private. Yeah. And I feel like if I were to buy cameras right now, let's, you're not going to hear me recommending UV cameras anymore. Let's just leave it that way. And I would call that failure to explain is issue number three, honestly. Uh, but the, uh, but I'm not sure what I'd recommend. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's, um, 
these cameras, I mean, it's a great idea and you got to go with these third-party vendors. All of them want to, you know, it's kind of like the razors and the razor, what do you call it? The, the, the shavers and the razor blade business where, Mm -hmm. you know, the real thing they want is you to sign up for their $150 a year monitoring program where, you know, then you're putting your video on their servers and who knows how well protected they are. So I'm not a fan of that. I don't know of another vendor out there that promises reliably to have a camera system that can work with HomeKit or can store locally. So I'll do some research on it, but, but yeah, this whole thing has been kind of frustrating for me and I feel bad. Uh, if you bought one because I recommended it, I apologize. I'll tell you, uh, I, obviously I had no knowledge of this and I try to really do a good job of recommending things to listeners that, that I use myself and trust. And I did. And I got bit. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by StoryWorth. If you're spending time with loved ones this holiday season, you're going to hear a lot of stories. The ones you love to hear and maybe the ones you've heard too many times. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to document these timeless stories from your family? It can be challenging to write an entire book of life memories, but StoryWorth makes it fun and easy. This is how anyone can write a book about their life. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection. Things like, what's the bravest thing you've ever had to do? Or, what's the farthest you've ever traveled? All they have to do is reply to the email with a story. Then after a year, StoryWorth compiles all your loved one's stories, memories, and even photos into a keepsake book. Millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth because they make the process so simple. Get started with your loved ones for the holidays, and before you know it, you'll both be able to reflect on those timeless stories for generations to come. I did this several years ago with a family member, and it was amazing. Stories I'd only heard part of, I got fuller detail, and there were a lot of things I learned. It's really a meaningful gift. Help your family share their story of this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com MPU, and you'll save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H, storyworth.com slash MPU to save $10 on your first purchase. Our thanks to StoryWorth for their support of the show and Relay FM. So, Stephen, I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about uh, my first year of having just one job. Yeah. How has it been a year? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I've been thinking because I've been reading my journal entries from last year as I was going through the transition. And there were like so many questions in my mind if I had just like torpedoed myself or not. Because, the, you know, the way it went down is I spent from October to December giving all my legal clients away. And when we announced it and I opened the labs, you know, the ships were already burning behind me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? So I didn't know if anybody was going to sign up or not. And, uh, so it was kind of a, it was uh, reading my journal entries from last December. You can see that I was a little nervous, but uh, but also excited. Yeah. So so it's been a year, just about, yeah. and you know yeah. we did that episode talking about it when you launched the labs. Yeah. And I'd love to know how that's going. Uh, you know how, what has worked, what hasn't. We have some listener questions in the next section, but yeah. Um, sort of you know big picture. How has the year been? Uh, overall, it has worked 
far better than I had any expectation. You awesome. Know? You know, it's just been great. And I, uh, you know, I do as the Max Sparky thing, you know, I do the podcasts. I have three podcasts. You know, I do the blog and make the field guides and do the Max Sparky lab. So I added that Max Sparky labs as I shut down the law practice. And uh, all of those various lines have worked really great this year. And um, the thing, uh, I guess let's start with the law practice. Getting out of the law was um, was a big deal for me. You know, like at the time, I think I had spent like thirty five years between school and practice in that in that racket. And the um, the thing that was most shocking to me um, that kind of occurred over the first six months of the year uh, is just how much I was stressed out about being a lawyer. You know, and and anybody we I know we have a lot of lawyers that listen, but and they know this. There is a a certain amount of stress that comes with that job, because every time a client asks you a question, it's an important question, and if you get it wrong, it hurts them. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't want to hurt them, right? You know, uh, set aside the whole discussion of malpractice and whatnot. But I mean, for me, a lot of my clients I'd known twenty years, and I I didn't want to let them down, and. And um, I used to wake up at three in the morning sometimes worried about a client problem. And during the pandemic, it was really hard because I was trying to keep people from getting foreclosed upon or, you know, keeping their business afloat. It was tough. And um, there's a famous, well, somewhat famous David Foster Wallace quote about goldfish. Have you ever heard that one? I don't think so. Yeah, I think he did it in a commencement speech, but there's two goldfish um, swimming by each other. And the older fish says, how's the water? the other one says, what the hell's water? You know? <laughs> That's good. You know, and honestly, I feel like that was my relationship with the stress of being a lawyer. Uh, I had no idea how much it was weighing me down until I got out of the water. And uh, it was shocking. You know, when I look back, I'm like, how on earth did I do that for all those years of trying to do the Max Sparky stuff and keep the law practice going? And people have written me asking me that question over the years. And you know what? I just did it, you know? Sometimes you just do stuff and, but getting out of it, um, um, is really, uh, it, it is really, yeah, it's just being out of the water, you know, and, and that's something yeah. I didn't even realize was going to happen. And hmm. I know there's law students that listen, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a lawyer and it's a great profession. You can really help people. But I had just kind of reached a point in my life where I'd been doing it a long time and that needed to be repotted. And I'm so much more excited about the stuff I'm doing as Max Sparky that, I just wanted to focus on that. And uh, so that that was one of those things. It was a bit of a shocker, really, was how much less stressed I would be not mm. being a lawyer anymore. And that that was a that was a, a benefit I didn't even realize, you know. Yeah. Yes. So so turning to you know being the full time Max Sparky, I mean, yeah. the I'm a labs member and it's been incredible to see the pace at which you put things out. I wonder if you yeah. can talk a little bit about that pacing and do you think, you know, next year will kind of be a similar amount of content and how that looks? Yeah. I mean, of course the, the labs is a new thing this year and I wanted to do it right. And, uh, you know, the people who joined the labs, I mean, a lot of people joined it. They just signed up for a year after we published that show last year. And like, it's just such a tremendous show of faith in me, you know, to sign up for something that I hadn't done anything on yet. And I said, okay, let's try it. You know? And, so I did feel like I want to make sure everybody gets their money's worth. 
But also I had all this energy that I was spending on being a lawyer that I now had extra time. And um, the thing I've always wanted to do is share the process with people about how I go through and figure things out and, you know, just engage more with people about this idea of being more productive with our technology. I mean, and so this labs gave me the space to do that. I, I was, I looked yesterday I have published 260 pieces of content to the lab so far wow. and we're, we're not done with the year yet. I mean, and that includes a lot of videos, um, a weekly podcast, newsletters, just like whatever. I, I looked at my memorable numbers and there has been 260 publications through there and we're not done yet. And that that's great. You know, I feel like that's what I wanted to do. But the other thing I had to do this year was figure out how the machine works, right? I mean, the labs was the new thing. Like I, you know, I had like a thing where there's three membership levels, and I wanted to have uh, different RSS feeds depending on which membership you, level you sign up for. Well, Memberful, you know, built that into the system for me because I asked for it, you know, and so I I had to set that up, and you know, I had to figure out what's a calendaring system that all these people can use, and then like. I do a lot of video calls with the members. Like we do virtual meetups, we do deep dives, we do all these different things, but I wanted an easy system so you could sign up for it, get the zoom link and be able to attend and know if things changed and get the, you know, so there's a whole system that had to be built for that. And um, so this year really has been a heavy year of process for me of figuring out processes to make this stuff efficient and work better and, you know, track every little, you know, for each one of those 260 pieces of content, that's a project. And I got to figure out what's going to be in it, how I'm going to do it. When's it going to get published? Who gets it? You know, all that stuff. And so uh, I spent a lot of time this year on process. And uh, uh, in terms of, you know, your question, you think it's going to go up or down. I think it'll probably be about the same next year, but it'll be less intense for me because now the processes are kind of built. Yeah, I definitely had a, a similar experience when I went independent where it took me quite a while to sort of get the infrastructure in place to be able to do things um, on a regular basis, like in a sustainable fashion. Yeah. And I think a lot of people deal with that, you know, when they either go into their own or even just changing jobs, you know, it's, you got to, figure out what works and and when it works and that sort of thing. Um, but it sounds like you're really looking forward to year two, which is really exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, we've got an episode of focus coming out where Mike and I talk about, you know, kind of like goal planning and priorities. And we also, there's a labs segment that we do this planning stuff on. And really for this year, I was really focused on not jumping to conclusions about the best way to do things. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like when you make a transition, it's really easy to say, well, I'm just going to do it this way for now on without really thinking about it. And then you create these systems that are really, you know, not that great, but that was the first idea that occurred to you. So you stick with it. And then over the course of years, you pay a price for that, for not being more intentional when you set it up. So that was a big goal this year is like, okay, when I need to solve a problem, I want to think through all the options and come up with the one that actually works. And that takes time and it takes some failed experiments and, you know, structure and setup. And, but then I think I feel like I've, I've largely got there and I, I'm going to keep an open mind going forward about process. But uh, what I really want to focus now on is just, you know, getting the product out and using the process I spent a year building. But, but I would recommend if you ever make a transition, be careful, you know, because 
The transition is the opportunity to build new habits and change the way you do everything. And that's kind of intoxicating. Uh, but it's also something you got to take serious, right? You don't just like jump into the first thing uh, and uh, spend some time figuring out the best process for whatever it is you're moving into. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, then you got to say, okay, this is figured out good enough. Now I just want to really put it in place and, and get mm-hmm. the payoff for that investment. So that's, that, that's really, I started that in about November. It, you know, I, it didn't take me the whole year to figure out process, but it took me nearly a year. Mm-hmm. And going into next year, I don't see myself adding a lot of new features to the labs. We just started a new feature, um, which is focus sessions where we can, a group of us can just get together on zoom and say, I'm going to spend the next two hours working on something to get. And then, you know, like a public accountability kind of thing. Uh, but really there's not going to be a lot of new features next year, but it's just going to be, you know, uh, you know, the content machine is now running at full capacity. So here we go. Um, that there were some, you know, there was some other costs in this first year. Uh, I only got one field guide out. I, I would ideally like to get two or maybe even three field guides out a year, but um, I only got one out this year. It was the shortcuts for Mac field guide, but that's because I was spending so much time getting the labs figured out. I feel like next year that might get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'm not sure if it was a good idea or a bad idea, uh, but I spent a ton of money and built the studio. And yeah. I can tell you that it's been excellent since I've moved in. Like I have been more productive and like all the benefits I was expecting from I'm getting, but you know, uh, depression era parents, yada, yada, spending money. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I didn't want to <laughs> yeah, do yeah. it, you know, but I, I can tell you, uh, even with just me and Daisy home, having the ability to shut the door and work at any hour is already paying dividends. But through the holidays, the kids are here and it's like the stuff I'm doing now would be impossible. Um, so it, it wouldn't even be possible without this room. And, you know, I looked at like at renting space and in terms of the expenses, it's about three and a half years of rent to build it on. You know, if I look at how much I paid to put the room on versus just going and renting a place and I think I'm going to get that back. So it's all good. Um, but this, this really um, turned into a very process heavy year for me, but I'm kind of coming out of that and that's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, the the opportunity to build the studio, you know, came along and I think you did the right thing. I mean, I know it's having gone through that myself and it's very time consuming, right? And and there's the money and there's then, okay, now I got to move in. Like all this whole time, you still have to be making stuff, you know, every week. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do think, because it's been true for me, because I've been in, in this space now six or seven, I think six years, seven years, something like that. And the old side and the new side is just turned like one. Yeah. Uh, it's so useful for me to have dedicated workspace and all the things we talked about throughout that process. I think you will see that you will have the benefits for that the rest of your career. And even though like, maybe the first year it was a lot to take on, well, now it's just done and you have a place where you can make stuff and you don't have to, you know, do the the dance around the house you used to do. I mean, we used to talk about like the bag you would use to go upstairs and downstairs when you were recording yeah. shows. Like, oh, that's gone now because you have this dedicated space. And so I, I think, you know, from my perspective, I think it's been totally worth it. Yeah. And the other thing is this space is like the room that I am the most comfortable with in the entire world. Like every inch of this was built just for a nerd called David Sparks. And, right. and, 
how can you not love having that? You know, I mean, I'm not sure I've ever been as comfortable, maybe my childhood bedroom, you know, but this is just great. And every corner of it's for me. And, you know, I've got my nerdy stuff on the walls. I've got, you know, my computers and everything set up. And I, I just love this room. Every time I come in here, I smile. And I've not had that experience with any workspace my entire adult life. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I should restate. I'm happy I did it, but it did hurt, <laughs> you know, just, you know, college and room edition. It was, you know, it was a, it was a tough year, but you know, the good news is, yeah, I survived the year and in the future, I'm only going to make better stuff. And the, you know, this is, you know, this is the turning point and mm-hmm. it's very exciting to be in your fifties and decide to turn your life on its head, you know, and not crash and burn miserably. And, uh, so I, I am super happy with what I'm doing. I'm super happy to shrug off the stress of being a lawyer uh, a couple times this year, when you shut down a law practice, there's always kind of some stuff that pulls you back a little bit. And every time I've had a taste of it, I realize, oh yeah, there, there is water there. That was water <laughs> I was in, you know, and, and being able to do this and, and, you know, my big thing, you know, the thing, the, the dent I want to make in the universe at this point in my life is help people figure out how to turn technology to their benefit. I mean, my whole thing is, and this is really started with the original Mac power users is, you know, technology when I was a kid was going to be the savior. It was going to be the thing that made everybody more productive and made our lives more rich. And at some point along the way, the whole thing got turned on its head when Silicon Valley figured out that they can make money on advertising. And the whole thing became about getting your attention and, you know, selling ads. And that has not helped people. You know, if you want, if there's something big, if you want to write a novel with your life, if you want to, I don't know, whatever it is you want to do with your life, uh, a piece of technology that grabs your attention all day is not going to help that. But I do feel like you can use technology to write the novel or do whatever you want if you're if you're mindful about it. And that's what we talk about on the show. That's what I talk about in the field guides. That's what I talk about in the newsletters. And that's what I talk about in the labs. And I just want anybody who's interested in that journey, I want to take them there. And it's like this whole room exists. My whole career exists to teach people that. And, uh, I've, I mean, how could you not be happy with a job like that? <laughs> At least if you're me. And, uh, so I, uh, I'm very, I'm feeling really good right now. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by memberful. Go to memberful.com slash MPU for best in class membership software. You can get started right now with no credit card required, man. I am so thankful for memberful this year. The big thing I did this year was get this Max Sparky Labs figured out, and Memberful was my partner throughout the process. When I first set it up, they were there for me, and throughout the year, as I've been making additions and changes, they've been there for me as well. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web. I'm not the biggest, but I'm on Memberful, so I'm one of them. With Memberful, you can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. Memberful just makes it super easy to generate that extra revenue stream and deliver bonus content to your members. I was nervous when I quit being a lawyer. That was half my income. And Memberful really helped me make up that gap. Uh, With Memberful, I'm able to have members come in. I'm able to give them custom content. As we talked about in today's show, 
I have now published over 260 pieces of content to my members, whether they be videos or podcasts, newsletters, just tons of great stuff. And Memberful made it super easy along the way. They did all the admin, so I didn't have to. I was just able to focus on making good content for the people that support me. So if you're interested in setting up a membership program, I couldn't recommend Memberful enough. Uh, They have the features you need, but they're also constantly adding features, and the service just continues to improve. So maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. Well, Memberful makes it easy to diversify that income with everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more, while leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. Uh, I could not be happier as a memberful uh, customer, so I can't recommend it highly enough. And you can now send paid email newsletters directly through memberful without needing to connect to their third-party email provider. You can even publish your paid newsletter content to a memberful hosted members-only website, and there's no additional fee when signed up for memberful's pro or premium plans. Plus, you'll save money compared to the other popular hosted newsletter platforms. So if you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. Get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. There's no credit card required. And once again, that's memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now and check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. And our thanks to Memberful for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, David, I went to the forums and I wanted to get some questions from the MPU audience uh, to direct towards you uh, a year into your fully Max Sparky life. And so we've got uh, we got quite a few of these. I've tried to group them into like similar topics. Um, but let's start with Mal, who writes, uh, when you said to yourself, I'm going to go for it as a full time Max Sparky. Uh, what were the feelings or thoughts that pushed you to cross that line? Courage, fear, something else? Uh, they they say they're close to that line themselves and and want to know what you went through. Yeah, it was um, uh, the answer is all of those things, really. You know, um, uh, I was definitely fearful in the sense that like we have still we're kind of at that max expense period of our life, putting the kids through college. I mean, uh, a personal thing of me is I've always wanted to get my kids through school debt-free, you know, and that's not possible in a lot of circumstances. Like, you know, at one point, one of my daughters got into Carnegie Mellon and if she had chosen to go there, there's no way I would have been able to pay her tuition for her. I would have helped, but there's just, I don't have enough money. You know, I don't know what I would do, sell kidneys or whatever, but I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get her through Carnegie on, on her own. Uh, but, but fortunately my kids have gone to a lot of the Cal state in the, uh, uh, California universities where, you know, if you're, if you are, um, a California resident, it's still expensive, but it's not like sell your kidney expensive. And so I thought, well, if they go to those schools, I can get them through debt free. And I just want to give them that. Like my oldest has now finished. She took a teacher job. Well, teachers don't make a lot of money, but because she didn't have any student debt, that makes it a lot easier for her. Uh, so that's been a big thing of mine. So I, I wanted to get the kids here, but I, right now I'm at the point where number one was in grad school, but now it's finished. Number two is in undergrad and heading to grad school. So I'm not out of the woods on that yet. Right. Uh, you know, the house, we're still paying off the house and, you know, all this stuff. And, um, and so I was worried about money, but the thing that I have going for me is that there is an end date of this for me. Right. I have, 
you know, four or five more years and the kids are going to be fully educated. And, you know, I think it's like seven more years and the house will be paid off, something like that. So I can see, uh, you know, the end of those expenses where someone like you, you're early in the journey. Your kids haven't even started college yet. So you're, you know, that's a lot more fearful about future and money. And so you can say it's courageous for me to do this, but I also waited to a point where um, there is an end date for some of those expenses on me. So uh, that was a thing that I thought about. The other kind of thing about it for me was, you know, feeling, uh, you know, the impending death. You know, I've never talked about um, midlife crises. I never really felt like I, I, I had one, you know, to me, midlife crisis is where you get halfway and you're like, man, what I've done so far has sucked. And, you know, <laughs> what good am I? And I'm going to go buy a Porsche, right? I never felt that because I always liked the stuff I was doing. But when I made this transition, I did think about the fact that my, my dad died when he was 62. And I'm thinking, well, I'm 54. I got eight years if I'm on his clock. And I'm like, I really need to get this thing done. This whole thing I talked about before the break about helping people use technology for their benefit, not for their detriment. That's the thing I want to make sure I get across. And that's more important to me than writing a contract. And I felt the press of time in a certain extent. Mm. And I may live for another 40 years. I don't know. But I felt like if I'm going to get this thing done, I need to start it now. So that was pressing me. I felt like I have to get this out of my system. I've got to do this. So that, if you want to know the truth, that's the real reason I did it. You know, um, I feel like, you know, I got something I need to get done. So I'm going to go do it. And I yeah. felt like, I would make enough money to survive. I'm not looking to get rich. I just want to be able to, you know, pay the bills. And I felt like even with this, even if the labs mis- was a fail, uh, miserable failure, I would still probably be able to make, make ends meet. So, you know, that I, it wasn't that courageous what I did. It was more of a sense of urgency that I was feeling, hmm. which is not really the greatest advice Mel. Cause I, like if you're feeling a sense of urgency, but you've still got, you know, a family to take care of, Sometimes the urgency has to take a second second seat. You still have to feed everybody, right? Um, so I, I hesitate to share that story, but that, that honestly, being honest, that's what I was feeling. Michael and Skyler both want to know if there were things, aspects of the lawyer gig that you miss. Oh, absolutely. The satisfaction. I mean, uh, I had clients that would have failed. Their business would have failed during the pandemic if it wasn't for the efforts I took and the tricks I played and the, you know, the, the things I did to keep them afloat. And throughout my career, there are lots of people and businesses that I helped in that way. I feel like my mix of um, compassion and knowledge uh, came to benefit people. And, and uh, I miss that. Of course, you know, helping people out, but I kind of, it's offset because I'm doing essentially the same thing in the new job, just on a different, you know, a bigger scale and smaller touches, I guess I would say. Um, But the interesting thing also kind of related to this is looking back, there's part of me that feels like I was never fully, I was never fully a great fit as a lawyer. You know, there was a part of me that always struggled with the conflict. and. and I'm glad to be done with that. But uh, yeah, I, I miss the satisfaction of doing a good job for a client. Yeah, yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. When I went independent to work on Relay and 512 and my other stuff full time, the last job I had was a project manager at a web development firm. 
And what I missed was the same thing you're describing, right? Like doing a good job for somebody and just the variety. I mean, I had clients who were everything from schools to heavy industry, you know, public, private, government, all sorts of projects I worked on. And I really liked the novelty of that. Like, oh, I'm going to learn everything I can about the golf cart business so we can build a really good golf cart website, right? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. little example. Who knew it was such a complicated uh, world? And I, I still miss that. You know, all these years later, I miss uh, really kind of getting into the weeds and like weird businesses and getting to know people who are just, you know, in a lot of ways like us, right? They've got a company. They just want to put food on the table and they want to do the best job possible. And that's something I still struggle with now, you know, years and years into it. Yeah, I feel like being a lawyer is like, people bring you like a massively tangled ball of yarn and your job is to untangle it, figure it out and make it so it never gets tangled again. There's like a puzzle element to it. And uh, that I kind of miss doing that. But honestly, I do the same thing as Max Sparky, Uh, you know, figuring out technology workflows and things like this is just another version of a ball of yarn for me. So uh, I miss that, but I don't miss the stress of it. And, uh, I think it's unlikely I will ever practice law again. I guess, you know, you never say never, but I just can't imagine it at this point. Yeah. Uh, Scott has a, a very pressing question. Honestly, we should have opened with this. Yes. But is the studio <laughs> named after the planet or the moon? Absolutely the moon. Okay. Absolutely the moon. I mean, because the moon has like all the trees and I have the wood in here and the wall color is like the whole thing is meant to be like a little forest, the indoor forest. All right. That's good. I'm glad we got that resolved. Why yeah. is the moon named the same thing as the planet? Uh, that just seems confusing. Uh, the um, Boy, Star Wars fans are going to be so mad at me. Um, I think, oh, geez, the indoor moon is what they call it. I'm not sure the planet has a name mm. other than the indoor moon. Okay. So I, I need to actually research that. And there are some nerds out there right now that are like, I can't believe you. You don't deserve to have that as your studio name. <laughs> I, I, not worthy. <laughs> uh, we've, we also have some questions about like daily schedule and deadlines and that sort of thing. So Charlie asks, yeah. has time minute management been a new issue or was it a relatively smooth transition? And then Jason wanted to know, do you find it harder to stay focused without external deadlines from law clients? Okay. So I'll start with the uh, Charlie's question is, this has been such a joy this year because as a lawyer and uh, you know, we got people listening who are lawyers and doctors and people who do professional services. Um, and you know that your schedule is never your own. I joked uh, last year when we, when we, when I announced what I was doing, that the last time I had complete control of my schedule was 1992. Mm-hmm. And that was absolutely true because when you're a lawyer, you, you just never know when a client's going to call and say, Hey, you know, you know, my salesman just left with all my clients. What am I going to do? And then all your carefully land played, all your carefully laid plans for the day just went up in smoke and you've got to deal with that. And uh, you just don't get that with this, this Max Sparky career. I mean, occasionally like we'll have a thing where a sponsor changes. I need to record a new ad or something silly, but it's just not near the scope, you know, of being in the water. And so, uh, I have the joy, the absolute joy, Charlie, of having 
much more control over my schedule. And I love it so much. I can't tell you. So I can be way more intentional because I can say, okay, Wednesday is going to be field guide recording day. And I plan everything around having the maximum amount of free time on Wednesday for that job. Mm -hmm. And when Wednesday arrives, by and large, I get that time. And that never happened before. So uh, yeah, the, this this transition for me has made scheduling way easier. Now, if I were going from this kind of job into a service job where I had to be um, more responsive to client questions, boy, it would be really hard because now I'm spoiled, right? I ha- haven't had that forever. And Jason's question, do you find it harder to stay focused without external deadlines? No, not at all. I I do plenty of um, stuff to myself in terms of deadlines. I don't need someone else putting them on me. I'm fine with that. Um, But, you know, using the techniques I talk about on focus, like block scheduling and being mindful in the weekly reviews, um, my schedule is highly uh, regulated. Mm -hmm. And generally I stick to it. Not every day. It's okay. You don't, you can't stick to it every day, but uh, I really am enjoying this freedom of not having my schedule blown up on a daily basis. Yeah, both you and I have very regular schedules because we have publication schedules, right? An MPU comes out every Sunday, right? It kind of doesn't yeah. matter what else happens in the week. That show has to come out on Sunday. And you've got other shows. I have other shows. You know, I think with the labs and like with my writing, it's a little bit more flexible, But so much of my work week is structured around when my shows are published. It defines huge chunks of time. And so, you know, I didn't really struggle with this either because I still had deadlines, right? I still got to have show prep done by the time we hit record. And uh, but I thought it was an interesting question nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Cindy asks, what's one piece of advice about ditching the day job that you wish someone had told you before you did it? It'll be okay. (laughs) You know, I think with uh, transitions and changes in our lives, uh, all of us humans make things out harder than they need to be. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of stress, you know, as I explained earlier, I've got obligations to my family and whatnot. And a legal career does pay well, right? And just saying, no, you know what? I'm just not going to take that money. Uh, Of course, you're nervous. But if I, I wish I could have just said, hey, Sparky, It'll be okay. You've put mm-hmm. the time in. This will be all right. Um, and I think I kind of knew that, but I I didn't really do a very good job of reassuring myself during the, the early phases of that transition. Hmm. Uh, Lisa asks, have there been things that have surprised you in the transition? I think, I'm not sure this qualifies as a surprise, but um, a lot of people wrote me and they're like, hey, you know, Max Sparky was a hobby for you. When it turns into a job, you're going to, you'll find out that it's, it turns into work suddenly. And that didn't happen at all. I, I love my job. I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world in terms of making a living doing something I love to do. And I guess that really didn't even answer the question because it just didn't surprise me. But mm-hmm. that's been, you never know, right? And, um, like woodworking, I love doing woodworking, but the few times I've built something under commission, I hated it, you know? Mm. Whereas this is just so fun. I'm having so much fun right now. Yeah. And you had been doing it so long. I mean, yeah. on yeah. the side, you know, I had that too, to a lesser degree. I mean, I quit my job when Relay was a year old, but I've been doing shows and stuff for years and years. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's a little bit different when you do that than opposed to I'm quitting a job on Tuesday and on Wednesday, I'm starting my new company from scratch, yeah. right? And people do that. And 
more power to you. But the way we have done it is a little bit different. And I think it eases some of those surprises. Yeah. I think looking at this question, another way I would answer it is the biggest surprise to me was the water of the stress of being a lawyer and feeling, uh, releasing the weight of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, I'm making a lot of lawyers listening feel bad, right? I mean, it's like there are a lot of people who do a great job at being a lawyer. They don't carry it. But for whatever reason, I was carrying the stress harder than I should have. Hmm. Um, when I when I first started practicing, I had that too. The first couple of years of practice were really hard for me. Like every qu- time a client asked me a question, I worried that I was doing it wrong and I'd lay in bed awake at night. And eventually I got to the point where I'd be like, well, you know, my job, I'm not going to be able to do good work if I don't get enough rest. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to go with it. But then the flip side of that was towards the end of my legal career, because so my many of my clients had been with me for so long. Yeah, I had the a transactional practice where I represent a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. Well, these people have been with me 20 years. Some of them I was representing the dad and now I represent the son because the dad's retired. And, you know, like, so intergenerational businesses that I'm representing. And towards the end, I got a problem with empathy where like, I know these people, you know, and it's like, I can't separate myself, which you really need to do when you're, you know, if you're a surgeon or a doctor or an accountant, you need to be able to separate separate yourself from them. Your job is to help them as best as you can, but you know you can't ensure that nothing bad will ever happen to them. And that was really difficult for me. And if I hadn't figured that out, if I hadn't quit being a lawyer, I was going to have to figure that out, or I was going to give myself a heart attack. So I didn't really know how much that was affecting me until I stopped doing it. Tom wants to know if your approach or attitude has changed towards MPU since going full-time. What changes have you been able to make to your workflow for your shows? Uh, Just they're they're more refined now. And, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot more exploration with them. Hopefully, I mean, you're my co-host. Hopefully, I'm doing a better job to help you out and make it easier for you. But uh, the main job of MPU and everything I do has always been to kind of get that message of making technology easier and more mm-hmm. fun for people. And, you know, I'm definitely spending more time on it. So hopefully that makes it better for you, the listener. But uh, yeah. it's hard to tell, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think we're more willing to do bigger, ambitious topics, right? Like some of those really deep dives into system apps or, uh, you know, more in-depth interviewing, that sort of thing. And I think that it's paid off in our episodes over the last year. And I mean, looking forward to what we have scheduled out for, you know, we've kind of got like January and most of February kind of penciled in already. And there's some stuff in here that's pretty time consuming to work through that it would have been more difficult uh, previously. And so as your co-host, I'm glad for the extra time. I'll say that. <laughs> well, you were the very first person other than my wife that I told about it. Yeah. I remember the phone call and uh, I was like, yeah, do it, man. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We were at, um, we went, you know, we have the passes. We were at the Disney California Adventure. And the other day we, we got a sandwich and I sat down at the same table that I called you at because hmm. we talked i was there because we you know what we do when we make big decisions we go to disneyland <laughs> and i'm like every time i walk by the table i think about you because that's the table where i first told someone other than daisy yeah that i was going to do this yeah um, I'm, I'm i'm so glad you did and i'm so glad yeah. the first year has been such a su- success not only financially of course but 
just being your friend, communicating just behind the scenes, like yeah, you like that stress is gone. Like you, when we talk off the show and even on the show, like I can feel that stress has been lifted from you and it has not been replaced with the stress of, oh my gosh, like this content business has to work because it's working. And uh, I said it a, a year ago on the show and I'll say it again now, I'm so glad you did it. Like for you, for your family, for your audience, it's good all the way around. Yeah, it's been a, a hoot. I got one last question for you. This is from Randy. I saved the 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 hippie question to the end. Oh, this has been a pretty hippie episode for a feedback yeah. episode, but that's fine. Yeah, it has. It has. Uh, Randy wants to know if you have learned something about yourself from this experience over the last year. Yeah, you know, I didn't read these in advance, so you got me with this one. Yeah, I dropped a bunch of these in right before we hit record. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, you know, I I have, I guess, in the sense that I think uh, earlier in my life, I was a lot more uptight, you know? And I think the making this transition and um, just getting through this year and, like, all of the craziness of getting the lab set up and everything, I feel like I've been a lot more forgiving to myself than I, than I used to be. And, uh, and I, I like that. I like that. You know, I think that's something we should all aspire toward. If you want to see something really hippie, I'll, I'll, I'm going to share a picture with you, Stephen, real quick. Hold on a second. If you want me to go full hippie, Stephen, I shared this in more power users, but the uh, we had all these extra pavers from the construction, and I set them up in the backyard, and I decided to just make them represent my life. And at the beginning, they're super clean and sharp and like looks like a chessboard, and then as you move across, they just start to get random. And that's kind of the way my life has gone. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting. And to be able to do it after such a successful law career, right? Doing it after you've done something for decades, is not a chance everyone gets. And so I'm, I'm glad that it has been such a good year for you and your family. Well, I mean, somebody asked me, uh, how is retirement? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm working harder now than I ever have. <laughs> I've got the gas down all the way, but I, but it's fun. You know, it's like yeah. you jump out of bed in the morning. And I, I mean, I'm very lucky. This episode is made possible by Electric. Turning a small business into a big business takes work. You have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take things to the next level. But this is hard when your attention is pulled in different directions because that's the reality of being a boss. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. So instead of spending time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions, you can focus on building your empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Delegation is so important in small business, a lesson I have learned over and over. And with Electric, you can delegate all of your IT tasks to professionals so you can focus on what you need to do as the owner. For MPU listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. 
Go there now to get your free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, so uh, enough of this hippie stuff. Let's talk about some some cool gear we're playing with. Uh, why don't you go first? Yeah, my list is not super long this time. Uh, one of them, I, I will bounce off of yours when you when you talk about it. Uh, but for yeah. me, I think the big thing has been working through kind of uh, Mastodon, which is a social media network that's not unlike Twitter in form, but very different than Twitter in function. There is a group. There are a group of people who sort of manage the software of Mastodon, but you can join a bunch of different servers. They're called instances, and so you can, you know, join a popular one, join a really specific one. Each server has different rules in terms of service, and if a the idea is that if a server is full of hateful people, then you can just lob it off of the network, and so people can't um, can't follow that. So it's uh. It's interesting. I mean, I just, I feel like my sort of social media use is very much in flux and Macedon is a part of that, obviously, but we will, uh, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. I mean, it feels to me like, cause I set up on Mastodon as well. And most of our nerd community has moved over because people that are techie, it's really not that big of a deal to move over. And if that's where they are, then that's where I'm going to be. Um, but I do also have a big following on Twitter that I rarely check in on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, really know. I, I feel like my whole shakedown with social media seems to be, I'm really leaning into the Mac power users forums, the Mac Sparky labs, discord server, the relay discord, kind of like a known entity. It's not, you know, global social media. It's more of a self-selecting little community of social media, but I find my interactions on those platforms to be the most enjoyable. So uh, I think I'm going to try and spend more of my time on those than the more public ones. Yeah. But, but it's all kind of in flux, like you said. Yeah, it is. I, I think a lot of people are sort of there with, at least in our community, right? Like, well, maybe we just sort of move to more private things and, We'll see where all that shakes out. But even just this week, like a bunch of people we know have announced that they're leaving Twitter. Uh, I, I basically left like a month ago. And it's it's weird. It's weird when you use something every day for 15 years and then you just don't use it anymore. Um, and I don't want to shoehorn something into that space if that's not a space I want filled anymore. So a lot yeah. of people have complicated feelings about that. That's kind of where I've been with stuff we're playing with. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> this month it's mostly emotions about websites yeah i i have not like at left twitter I, i'll still check it at least at this point i don't know we'll see where it all shakes out but i don't like to do like a big public announcement of this or that i kind of want to just wait and see where i am or what i use and that's not you know it's just looking for the platform i want but i really really do think that time i spent on twitter was, was better served in the Max Barkey Labs Discord or the or the MPU forums. It's just like that's more stuff I'm interested in with people that, you know, are not going to take things the wrong way. And, you know, I just I feel like that's kind of where I want to be with that stuff. And and I'm not really good at social media, to be honest with you. I am much more interested in making things than doing social media. It's just kind of I'm I guess I'm old enough that it, it never really landed with me that hard. Sure. Uh stuff I'm playing with. So 
I've had a journey with the stream deck in the last month, Stephen. Here we go. <laughs> That's the only way to put it, right? So uh, Rosemary Orchard texted me a picture of the new stream deck plus, which I didn't even know existed. And it apparently it came out like that week. And so I ordered one and got one. So it's a stream deck that has four knobs on it, eight buttons and a little uh, display panel. So it's kind of great for media management. Like I I've, I've wired it up. So when I'm in screen flow, I can scrub the timeline and do, you know, ripple deletes and stuff with knobs. And it's kind of fun. I'm, I'm liking that. And then um, on top of it, uh, in a, we were in a labs meetup, and, and one of the labs members, Mark, out there, was talking about how he has two Stream Deck XLs, right? And I'm like, that's crazy. Why would you want two Stream Deck XLs? And he's like, well, one of them is static, and it just has like the buttons I always need, and the other one is responsive to whatever app I'm in. And then the little thing, little voice in the back of my head said, oh, that's kind of a good idea, you know? And then uh, I, uh, I, I said, well, Mark, you win. And then somebody in the, I don't, it didn't want to be named, but somebody in the lab said, Hey, I've got one. I don't use. If you want to buy it off me, you can have a second one too. And I bought it off of him. So and now I have two stream deck XLs. So my desk truly looks like the Apollo capsule and, uh, and I love it, man. You even got the little like Etsy deal, right? To mount mount the two regular stream decks like in a stack. Yes. Yes. The thing that I made fun of on the Mac mm. Power Users like yeah. two years ago. I'm like, what kind of insane idiot would need the the rack to have two XLs? Well, now I've answered my own question. You guess but a lot of buttons really there. It's yeah, it's really fun. I, I have sixty-eight buttons between two stream decks XLs and one stream deck plus. And I'm uh, I'm not using them all yet, but it's pretty awesome. Like the um, there's a great uh, plugin for Stream Deck called Crabs uh, Time, and it allows you to set up a clock buttons across the top. Have I sent you a picture recently, Stephen? Yes. In fact, I'm going to put it in the show notes. You you sent me one of the stacked. Yeah, stacked and layout. it looks it's just awesome to have you know the time and date there, but also just like all of the main buttons, and and they're not all filled out yet, but like if I'm in Zoom, the bottom panel just fills up with the entire Zoom suite, you know. And if I'm working in Apple Mail or OmniFocus or Fantastical, all of my buttons show up. And I really do like having that that functionality. Um, we'll see. You know, we should probably check it in six months to find out how much I'm actually using all these. And, oh, I didn't mention, I also own the pedal, which I bought last year. <laughs> uh, so... You know, I, I think, you know, pictures of me on the wall, they probably got one of me at El Gato because, you know, I'm the whale. Um, That's right. But the uh, <laughs> but it's just great, you know, having that stuff uh, and the labeled buttons, you know, because you always forget, like, all of the weird functions and little tools. Like, I was looking right now at my Mac Power users screen of buttons, and a bunch of them are bookmarks opening certain things we do and tab groups. But then I have... Um, buttons that like automatically copy the files to the folder for the editor and um, buttons that turn on the lights and run timers and and just the whole thing I can make for this one job of being a Mac power user. I'm using uh, about 20 buttons for all the things I do in that job. And when, you know, and that's great. I don't have to remember keyboard shortcuts. I don't have to try and trigger scripts with the keyboard while we're recording and, you know, just kind of carrying that over to the various contexts of my life, I think I'm going to find use for this stuff. 
So that's one thing. Okay. But there's another thing. I also yes. bought a Nomad watch band that I wrote up about briefly on Max Sparky. Um, Steven and I share a love of orange. We do. Nomad makes a flora, flora elastomer. Did I say that right? But sure. I think so. They make that, you know, that rubber that Apple uses in their watch bands, they make one too. And it's a really nice bright orange and they have two of them. They have the sport one and they have the rugged one. And I did the review of the sport one, but they also have the rugged one, which is cool. And they're nice, bright orange. And if you have an Apple watch ultra with, and you want to like carry the orange theme across, they're affordable. I think they're about 50 bucks or half the price of Apple's watch bands. And they're, uh, they're great. So uh, I got one. I like it. And I think I pushed you over the edge too. Yeah, I've been eyeballing this. I've been wearing the trail loop basically exclusively since I got it. But yeah. this Nomad one has caught my attention. And uh, yeah, so after your review, I, uh, I've i got one on order. I don't get it. To, I think there's like the end of January. But uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to checking that out. I'm going to do a serious spring cleaning on my watch pants. <laughs> I have way too many. And um, I, you know, because you can get them on Amazon for like $5. And I fully partook in that. So I've got all these like watch bands and I was looking at a bunch of them that I like never use anymore. I'm going to start, I think at the holidays when the, my family's over, cause you know, the Apple watch has propagated through the family. I'm going to just bring them out and say, okay, everybody take some watch bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, there are benefits to being related to me. I'll tell you, 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 get, <laughs> you get some cool stuff once in a while. My brothers-in-law, like now they're like, they're like my nephews in Star Wars figures, but it's tech. Every time my brothers-in-law come over, they're like, so Dave, you got anything you don't want anymore? <laughs> they just they just ask me direct now. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, I think I think that does it. Yeah. Well, that was fun. We had a hippie segment today. We had a lot of feedback. Uh, it's kind of fun getting all that those cobwebs blown out as we get towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. As this episode releases, we're not so far away from some pretty big holidays. I hope you all have a good one. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate. Uh, we are so thankful to have you in the audience of the Mac Power Users. Uh, we look forward to bringing you more next year. In the meantime, thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, StoryWorth, Memberful, and Electric, and we'll see you next time.